Heavenly Father, we come before you in prayer this morning, and we want to thank and praise you for being the great God who gave himself to pay the price for our sins. Lord, we're thankful that salvation is not something conferred upon us by some church or organization or man, nor can it be taken away by any such organization. It is a gift of God. It is eternal life. 
And we want to praise your name for salvation today. Lord, we want to also praise you for the opportunity that once we're saved to serve you. We ask you to teach us about that service today. And be honored and glorified in all that's said and done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now let's turn to page 160. 160, the song asks, Are you washed in the blood? Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you walking daily by the Savior's side? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you rest each moment in the crucified? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? When the bridegroom cometh, will your robes be white? Pure and white in the blood of the Lamb. Will your clothes be ready for the mansion's bride? And be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood? song 175 there is a fountain 12 and under will be dismissed to the junior church. Verse 4. There sits my faith, I saw the stream, I know it moves above. deepening love has been my feet and shall be till I die. 
just before the message this morning. We got mixed signals here, went the wrong way. Deborah's going to sing a special for us, and she's going to play the piano for herself as she sings. So listen very closely to the words. As many of you know, we have been doing somewhat of a series on Sunday mornings as we are looking at the lives of those people who have served the Lord and how God used them in their service for the Lord. Now, this morning, I want to try to get two lives in this morning's message. These two are, are linked together uh, not at first, but uh, at the end. And um, the uh, uh, before I introduce them, I, I just want to preface uh, the message this morning. Uh, yes, there there is a purpose uh, in the preaching. As we look at the lives of these people, we we are, hopefully we'll see some things that we are either to emulate or put in or put in our lives, or things we are to guard against and uh, make sure don't happen in our lives. And, uh, and we're not going to... Uh, uh, I'm not going to walk down the aisle here and say, you, you're just like this one and you... That's, that's not my job. That belongs Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, but sometimes the shoe fits and uh, take it home. Amen. Uh, and if you don't like it, get it fixed. And uh, that's what church is all about. It is asking God to change the way we live so that as we go forth from this place and live in the real world, our service for Him will count. Because one day we're all going to stand before God. And this morning's message is on secret servants of the Lord. Now, if you've watched the James Bond movies, don't admit it here at church, all right? Uh, most people like secret servant, secret service and spies and all of that stuff. Uh, most of the real work that was done in spying and all, it has nothing to do with what goes on on television. 
because the real stuff doesn't sell books. Uh, and uh, usually the best spies end up strung up somewhere by their enemies uh, because they usually get found out. And um, there's a lot of, I don't know, hype, hyperbole, uh, how about out-and-out fabrications and lies uh, surrounding what this thing of, I'm going to be a secret servant for Jesus. In fact, uh, I met a guy one time who actually told me he was, uh, he was a secret agent for Jesus. And I said, you know what? Jesus doesn't want secret agents. He was crestfallen. He was, well, what do you mean, Pastor? Uh, aren't we supposed to infiltrate the world? And oh, No, no. Jesus said what? He said, I have overcome the world. Amen? That, that's not your job. Uh, I'll tell you what will happen as you infiltrate the world. You'll become more and more like the world. You'll become more and more comfortable in the world. That's not the job of a Christian, amen? And, and these two people that we're going to look at is Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. I can read to you, in fact, on my outline this morning, I don't have very many notes, but I have every verse in the Bible where Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus are mentioned, and it doesn't take up half a page double-spaced. In fact, uh, you know what? I'm just going to read all the verses very quickly to you. Joseph of Arimathea first. And when the even was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. In Mark, it tells us, one verse in Mark, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 23, verse 51 Talking about Joseph, the same had not consented to the counsel indeed of them. He was of Arimathea, city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. John chapter 19 gives us uh, the, probably the best view of the life of this man. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came therefore and took the body of Jesus. That's all we know about Joseph of Arimathea. Nicodemus. Let me read you the verses that mention him by name. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. John 3, 1. Verse 4 of the same chapter. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Verse 9 of the same chapter. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? John chapter 7 and verse 50, Nicodemus saith unto them, the council of the Sanhedrin, he that came to Jesus by night being one of them, and he asked the council of the Sanhedrin, do we judge a man before we've heard him? We've not even had Jesus in to be judged before our body. John chapter 19, here's where Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea meet. It says, and there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrhs and aloes about a hundred pound weight. So we see these two men secretly serving the Lord, believing on Him, not professing Him openly because of fear of the Jews. When Jesus dies on the cross, Joseph goes and gets the body from Pilate. Nicodemus brings the necessary burying things. I mean, he brings more than most of the kings were buried with, by the way. And uh, he brings this great amount of, of spices and things, and they uh, are together responsible with their servants for the interment of the body of Jesus Christ. Now, I just want us to stop and kind of take an overview and then go back and put this thing together and pray that this message kind of works out to say something this morning. But I want you to think about one thing. There came a point in time where neither Nicodemus nor Joseph could remain any longer a secret disciple of Christ. 
There's no more secret when Joseph went in before Pilate and asked for the body. Carrying a hundred pounds of spices through the city streets on the eve uh, of the feast day, heading toward the place uh, of the crucifixion where Jesus' body buried, was buried, no secret about that. In fact, uh, Jerusalem was crawling with Pharisees and scribes during the Passover week, most of them jubilant that they had just conquered their greatest enemy, Jesus Christ. He's dead, and here goes Nicodemus the other way with all these spices. Everybody had to know what Nicodemus was doing. There was no more secrets here in their life. Their service was great. And, and by the way, I, we just need to stop here. People are listening to what's going on downstairs a whole lot more than what's going on up here. Uh, we've got holes in the ceiling for the, the doors, and we're going to be insulating. It's going to get better, not worse, all right? They're actually much quieter this week than last week. Uh, it's just that the whole floor is cut up. We've only got about that much between us and them this morning. So uh, just be patient, listen real close, and we might get somewhere with the message this morning, and uh, we'll just move on. But uh, what I w first point I want to make is that de after the death of Jesus Christ, these men were no longer secret servants. They were brought out of hiding to serve the Lord. The service that they did for the Lord Jesus Christ in interring His body for the burying and all of this was something that very few people could have actually undertaken. Do you think Pilate would have given the body of Jesus to his own disciples to bury? By the way, what were the disciples doing? They were hiding. They were scaredy cats. They were locked in the upper room, hoping that no one would find out where they were and drag them to the cross just as Jesus had been. And by the way, Jesus wasn't drugged to the cross. He went there willingly. Amen. He went there knowing the things that would befall him. None of the disciples had enough money to show up with a hundred pounds of myrrh and aloes and special spices. None of the disciples owned tombs in the city of Jerusalem. Joseph did a brand new one that he had made for himself, hewn out of, a out of a stone. One stone that they had hollowed out. And it was all made for Joseph. But since Jesus had died, Joseph was going to give him his tomb. The service that they did, honestly, these were the only two men in Jerusalem capable of getting it done. And they did the service gladly for the Lord Jesus Christ when it came. So we're not going to be totally critical of these guys, yet we are going to look at them in a rather negative light. And we're going to start in John chapter 3. Let's go back and pick up Nicodemus. There's a little bit more about him than Joseph. And we don't know, maybe Nicodemus was the one who influenced Joseph to believe this. And it tells us that Joseph was an honorable man and upright, waiting for the kingdom of God. And he believed that Jesus was the Messiah. But we come here in chapter 3, verse 1. These are verses that we all know very well. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi... We know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Now, what Nicodemus was trying to do was the first step in all politics. Uh, you read Dale Carnegie's book on how to win friends and influence people. And... and if you don't know me, I'm not for being obnoxious for the sake of being obnoxious, all right? I mean, there are people out there who are like that. Uh, but what Nicodemus was trying to do was find middle ground. I'll tell you what, there is middle ground out there with just about anything you want. It's called the middle of the road. 
And uh, does anybody know what's in the middle of the road? Other than the two lines that go down the middle of the road? It's called roadkill. It's all the little animals that didn't make it all the way across. And uh, unfortunately, in New York City, especially on Queens Boulevard and certain places, there's people that end up in the middle of the road. They don't make it the whole way across. And they've been working on that. I don't know if you remember, uh, last year they had a whole series of articles in all the papers calling about the Boulevard of Death and, and all of these things. And, hey, cross, being in the middle of the road is a dangerous place, my friend. I don't like the middle of the road. I don't care if I'm driving a tank. I don't want to be in the middle of the road. I want to be on the right side. Amen? I want to be on the side that I'm supposed to be on. Uh, that's where it's safest. And, and if I'm crossing the street, I don't like to spend a lot of time in the middle of the street. I like to get on one side or the other because there's traffic coming through. And, and I know what would happen to my body if, if we had high impact with car bumpers and all of those things. It, it's not a pleasant thought. Amen. But here's Nicodemus, and what he's trying to do is as a Pharisee, as a ruler of the Jews, as a member of the Sanhedrin, and as an honest, God-fearing man, which everything in the Bible tells us Nicodemus was, he had to come to some conclusions, and he offers those conclusions here. He said, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. He says, we know that God is with you, Jesus. And that's why I'm here. Nicodemus, Pharisee, member of the Sanhedrin. Jesus, I want you to understand, I can be your ticket to acceptance by the temple crowd. Jesus, I know who you are. And I know that this temple complex was built for worship of you. But I have the key to the temple, so to say. I mean, I'm, I'm the guy that's got the inroads to the high priest. I meet with them. I'm in the same room with him in the Sanhedrin. And, and Jesus, if we can just get some agreement here, I can take your case before the council and we can get all this persecution against you stopped because we know that we all serve the same God. How many times have you heard that? Now, what did Jesus do in answer to Nicodemus' olive branch? Borrow a little bit from Noah. Uh, what did Jesus say as Nicodemus is extending to him what we might term in the Baptist church, the right hand of fellowship? Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Blew poor Nicodemus right out of the water. I mean, you could have knocked Nicodemus over with just a little touch. I mean, Nicodemus was shocked. Here he was trying to offer Jesus acceptance trying to get Jesus to understand that all we needed to do was open a dialogue and have just a little bit of conversation here, and we'll find out we agree on a whole lot more things than we disagree about, and then we can make some friendships here, and we can network our way, and we can present our case to the Sanhedrin and get an honest hearing here and get this thing going and, and make things happen, Jesus, so that they won't be so much against you because they shouldn't be against you. Now, am I reading from the Bible or yesterday's New York Times? How many times do you hear people talk like this in real life about all kinds of things? I mean, we have people out there that think you could sit down and have dialogue with a terrorist and they'd stop being terrorists. And, and that's partially true. As soon as they detonate their suicide belt, they'd stop being terrorists. But... Uh, it stops the dialogue, too, for some strange reason, but there are people out there that think we can talk our way through anything. 
And here's what Jesus did to Nicodemus. He brought out the issue of the day. The issue of his day is the issue of our day. It's called salvation. Without it, you have nothing. With it, you don't need anything else. Amen? Salvation is the central issue. And Jesus brings this out and throws it in Nicodemus' face and says, Listen, I don't care how religious you are, how much you go to temple, how much you know of the Word of God, how much you believe in me, unless you're born again, you're not going to heaven, Nicodemus. You're not even going to see the place. And Nicodemus asks an honest question here. He says, how can a man be born when he's old? We were, I, I have been working in my mind. I've yet to get it to come out on the keyboard here on a track that asks that very same question. Because it is the central question of all history. How can a man be born when he's old? Everybody loves a baby, amen? Well, I shouldn't say everybody, but most real honest people love babies. Babies are wonderful things. You mean I got to become a baby? Yeah, I got to be born again? What do you mean? And Jesus, just very simply in verse 6, I mean 5, tells him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Now, we don't have time this morning in our message to go through all the comparisons, but you just go through the comparisons between the physical birth and the spiritual birth. Point in time, brought into a family. You can't change the events that happen around the birth. I mean, if a, if a little child is born with some problem, they're, they're not going to be able to go back and get that thing fixed. Praise God, there's no such thing as spiritual birth defects. Amen? Uh, you're born... Uh, with a family name. You're born at a point in time, my friend. Birth is not a process. It's an event. And all of those are true of the spiritual birth. You're born at a point in time. You're born into God's family. You're never going to lose that birth. And by the way, when that little baby... Uh, we're not going to do this this morning but uh, because it's not one of my kids, but uh, I could, uh, uh, we could bring little Teddy. Uh, he's, I think he's the youngest baby in our nursery out uh, this morning and, and just show him off for everybody. Now, would anybody question whether baby Teddy was born? Would we have anyone here so foolish? Now, I've struggled with this. Every person is, that is saved will struggle with it at one time. Why do we spend so much time worrying whether we've been saved or not? I mean, the baby's right there. At 3 o'clock in the morning, there is absolutely no question whether Teddy was born or not. He's got to be fed. I'm glad Esther stopped that a little while ago. She's getting up at five now. Um, there's absolutely no question. If I get my little son Peter and stand him up beside me, anybody question whether Peter has been born? I mean, you feel the floor shake when he walks by. Uh, I mean, Peter's presence is known wherever he happens to be. Uh, it's because he kind of takes after his dad, I guess. But uh, Peter is, is just, nobody questions these things. But, but we have all these questions about our spiritual birth. Why do we struggle so much with something that is just as real? And the main reason is because... 
we've got a hard time. Look at verse 8. It explains it. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, and canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus pipes in, how can these things be? He's saying, Jesus, I don't have a clue as to what you're talking about. And that's why we have so much problem, doubt, and salvation, wondering about all these things is because we don't spend time in the Word of God. We think being saved is a nice, warm, mushy-gushy feeling inside. Oatmeal does a wonderful job, warm, mushy-gushy feeling, amen? But that's not salvation, it's not love, it's not anything but oatmeal. And if you eat too much, you wish you hadn't, amen? Uh, that's just the way it goes. But this thing called being born again, Jesus is explaining it to Nicodemus. And here Nicodemus goes, scratching his head, trying to figure out what in the world just happened to him. What happened to Nicodemus was he was presented with the number one issue of all time, his own personal salvation. People love to ask lots of questions about salvation. They want to know about the aborigines in the farthest islands of the South Pacific that never heard the gospel. You know what? I can't answer for them. But I do know one thing. You're not there. You're here. And you've got to listen to what this message says unless you get up in the middle and walk out or stick your fingers in your ears. And you have to answer for you. That's what happened to Nicodemus. He was brought face to face with his decision about his own personal salvation. He was not prepared for that encounter. Now, somewhere along the line, we have Nicodemus having been born again because by the time Jesus is crucified and, and uh, three years later... We have Nicodemus showing up with Joseph of Arimathea and, and performing the burial rites on the Lord Jesus Christ. Somewhere in that three-year period, Nicodemus got it all straightened out. Excuse me, but let's turn to John chapter 7 for just a minute and, and get the full context here of what happened to Nicodemus. This is a little further in the ministry here. And we come down here. Oh, let's let's uh, let's pick it up here. Verse forty. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, "Of a truth, this is the prophet." Others said, "This is the Christ." But some said, "Shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the Scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem, where David was?" So there was a division among the people because of him. And some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hold on him. The Pharisees had sent men to arrest Jesus. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have ye not brought him? The officers answered, Never spake, never man spake like this man. Then answered the, them, Who answered? The Pharisees. This is Nicodemus's crowd. Are ye also deceived? Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth nothing, knoweth not the law, are cursed. Nicodemus pipes up and saith unto them, He that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, doth our law judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth? They answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And every man went unto his house. Nicodemus, again, still looking for that common ground, I believe. Still looking for that way to present Jesus to the Sanhedrin and get a ruling on what Jesus would or would not be because he really believed in his heart that if Jesus could be brought into the Sanhedrin and, and put on trial and, and set before them and Jesus and they would hear Jesus' argument, they would all believe on Jesus like Nicodemus had. That's 
I mean, I'm just reading into it today. I'll admit that, but uh, that certainly explains Nicodemus' behavior and, and, and the reason why he was saying what he was saying. He, he was trying to give Jesus a chance before the Sanhedrin. Now, Jesus was going to go on trial before the Sanhedrin the night before the crucifixion. He spent all night in trial before the chief priests, before the Pharisees, before the Sadducees. Jesus didn't have much to say to him. There's no evidence that Nicodemus was even there that night. But we look here and Nicodemus is, is struggling and trying to get this middle ground. And we're just going to skip over here to John chapter 11. This is a story of Lazarus. This is just a few weeks before the crucifixion and the resurrection. And uh, verse 43, And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Look at verse 45. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. We come down to uh, verse 53. Then from that day forth, they took counsel together for to put him to death. Now, I want you to remember something here. This wasn't the whole group of the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees. This was a council. This was a representative group. This was a smaller group within the Sanhedrin. The chief priest was in this group. In fact, he was the leader of it. Uh, it says Caiaphas sto stood up and said, you, you know nothing at all. He says, you people don't know anything. He said, you, got, you have to understand it's expedient for us that one man should die and the whole nation shouldn't perish. And they all listened to him. And from that day forth, this small group inside the Pharisees and the Sadducees began to plot the death of Jesus Christ. I do not believe Nicodemus or Joseph of Arimathea were party to what was going on here. We'll find out that Joseph of Arimathea uh, was not with them. He had objected. He had not consented. In Luke chapter 23, it says uh, that the same had not consented to the counsel and the deed of them. He stood up and said, I disagree with this, and, and probably walked out of the meeting. That's where Joseph had to make a stand. But as far as humanly speaking, it was everything was already done at that point. These two men, Nicodemus and Joseph, and let's let's look at John chapter twelve and get the Bible's commentary. This was after Lazarus. This was after the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Jesus is teaching in the temple, and he has just got done pre in his teaching, telling, quoting Isaiah that they can, they'll see and not hear, they'll hear and not understand, they'll, uh, they'll, they'll listen to all the words, but they're not going to be saved. Verse forty-two it says, nevertheless. Among the chief rulers also many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Now that's a pretty sad commentary, is it not? 
it said that this group here, there, there were people, not, not only was there this council with the chief priest at its head, who were plotting every day and every time they met each other the death of Jesus Christ, there was also another group inside this Sanhedrin that really believed that Jesus was the Messiah, that really believed that He was the Christ, the Son of the living God, but they would not openly admit to it because they were afraid of losing their position. They were afraid that somehow they were going to lose something if they admitted to being a follower of the teachings of Jesus Christ. We don't know, but more than likely, Nicodemus and Joseph were in this group. They, they were part of this little group. And, and they were trying to figure out a way that, that they could convince everyone else that Jesus was the Messiah. They were trying to figure out a way that they could solve this problem and, and fight against this other group who were trying to kill him. And, they, and this battle was going back and forth. And you could imagine all of the strife and all of the unsaid things. You ever say anything without opening your mouth? You have, all of us have, haven't we? Could you imagine being in one of those Sanhedrin meetings? As Joseph of Arimathea walked by, the stares that he got from the other group, bet he's one of them. But as people, most of the time we don't like conflict. Isn't that right? I don't like conflict. I don't like getting in people's face. Somebody said, I never guessed that by the way you preach. Well, I, I really don't. I'm a, really a mild, timid fella. Uh, I can preach very boldly because I'm telling you what God said. Amen. But as we look here, we see these guys. It says that he, Jesus, uh, that Joseph. Let's turn to John chapter 19. Now, Mark tells us in, in that Joseph went in and boldly craved the body of Jesus Christ from Pilate. John tells us, it says in verse 38, And after this, after Jesus was dead, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came therefore and took the body of Jesus, and there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrhs and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then they took the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now the place where he was crucified, now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. So here we have these two. No longer secret servants for Christ. Boldly doing what no one else wanted to or could do. They found their place of service. And they took care of the body of Jesus. And by the way, they did it right. It says after the manner of the Jews. I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with honoring the dead. You ought to have a proper funeral. You ought to have a proper burial. I mean, it's just, there's nothing wrong with that. It's right to do those things. It's kind of sad that it took Jesus' death. And by the way, there's no apparent understanding on the part of either one of these men about the resurrection. They thought it was all over. They thought, well, it's 
it's finished. Jesus is dead. And they came and they buried the body of Jesus. Now, just a few things and we're done. We live in a day where compromise is deemed honorable. We're finding the middle ground. Heard the testimony of a, another church. Uh, they're building bridges. Hey, there's some people out there to build a bridge to hell if they could. There's some people there that would offer to give the devil a sit-down seat and have a conversation with them, see if they could work out a deal. Let me tell you something. There's no deals with God. There is no common ground with the world in which we live. There is no such thing as a secret servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Somewhere, you're going to come to a point where you're going to have to make a decision. Am I going to trust Jesus as my Savior? Or am I going to keep trying to do what I want to do? There, there has to come a point. There's, there's going to come a point where you're going to have to break with friends and family and, and, and people you respect and people that respect you. And choose the Lord Jesus Christ regardless of the consequences. That's what Bible salvation is all about. There has to be that point in time where there is a total surrender to Jesus Christ and the things of God without one thought of what might, could, would, will, maybe happen. You see, God is God. Period. Amen? He's not God because we make Him God. He's not God because we allow Him to be God. He's not God because we recognize Him as such. He is God because that's who He is. You see, now preacher, why do you have to say that? Because we live in a day and time where people look at this whole thing and they say, well, you know, um, I I'm willing to serve God, but... Uh, you know, he'll have to understand about some things. Yeah, Jesus did understand about some things. He understood about everything as he let those same Pharisees slap him in the face, and pull his beard out, as he let the Roman soldier beat him, as he let them drive the spikes through his hands and through his feet, as he hung there between heaven and earth and the greatest suffering of the cross. By the way, don't be tempted to watch that poor imitation of a movie called The Passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson. Don't watch that, please. We don't have time to go into it this morning. But don't. Read the Bible. Read what the Scripture says. Don't depend upon a screenplay that came from a demon-possessed nun in the 1850s. And that's where it came from, by the way. Study the Bible. I don't want to see whatever the name... What, what is that stupid actor's name? Jim somebody or other who played Jesus in The Passion of the Christ. I heard him on the radio once. He said, I went through hell to make that movie. You blasphemer, you. You have no idea what hell is. But if you really believe that, you're headed there yourself, my friend. That's, that's the truth of the matter. Jesus took upon him the entire judgment of God for the entire history of mankind on that cross. Let me tell you something. There's nothing one single human being can endure that would even begin. In fact, 
it's going to take you all of hell in eternity to scratch the surface of what Jesus Christ did on that cross that afternoon. That's why God's totally justified in sending someone who refuses him to a place called hell. Because Jesus has paid it all. Now this has an application in many different parts of our lives. Most of us are going to work tomorrow. Are you just one of the gang at work? Can you tell dirty stories with the best of them? Can you laugh at the same things the world laughs at? Can you be such a part of what's going on that's against Christ that no one would ever know that you're for Jesus Christ? There's nothing more evil in this world than religion that denies the deity, and the rightful place, and the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Read the book of Revelation. Jesus is speaking to the churches. And He says, in the churches, He says, you let that woman Jezebel come in, and He talks and teach falseness, and let you commit spiritual fornication with false doctrine, and all of these things. And He said, to you that have not known the depths of Satan, that's where the depths of Satan is, my friend. The depths of Satan is in deceiving yourself to think that you know Jesus when everything about your life denies Him. You can't get any more deceived than that. Not in this life or in the life to come. And what we're trying to do this morning is we're looking at these two people here. Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea. They knew Jesus right from the beginning. They knew of Him and what He was doing. They both believed in Him. But it wasn't until after Jesus was dead that they were willing to admit publicly that they knew who He was. Now, Praise God. They finally did come to that point of decision. Amen. And I, and I just want to ask you this morning, what would it take for you to be a real Christian? What would it, what would it take for you to step out of the shadows and say, I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? As we look at the life of Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, we have to ask that question. What would make us willing to stop being just one of the crowd and start being one of his servants? Somebody that counts for God. Nicodemus and Joseph found a place of service. It was to take care of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I just have to ask you a question. Where's our place? Where's my place? You know, sometimes it's, it's a little easier being pastor because once somebody hears your pastor, they expect you to live differently than being a Christian. But every one of us have to make that decision. When are we going to step out of the shadows? When are we going to stop being afraid of the world in which we live? When are we going to stop being afraid of ourselves and our own habits and our own problems? And say... I'm going to give up this filthy habit so that I can serve Christ. I'm going to stop living this way so that I can tell other people about Jesus. 
I'm going to start doing these things that God wants me to do. Now, I don't think as a pastor, I need to go through a list of everything that we need to do. Most of us know what God wants us to do. Could we get an amen or an oh me there? And so, there, there will be a point in your life. In fact, there should be many points in your life where you surrender more and more and more to the Lord Jesus Christ. Starts with salvation. If you're not saved, don't, don't play games. Don't pretend you're a servant of God. Don't allow yourself to be comfortable with being unsaved. That's a scary thought. If you're saved, what's the difference between what you're doing and what any other person is doing? If there's no difference, we need to start checking the words of this book called the Bible. Amen? Because being honest is something the world's not very good at. Somebody told Brother Jose, he works at a dealership during the week to help pay bills. He said, you can't be a mechanic and be a Christian. He said, yeah, I can. I'm going to be honest. And he was telling me yesterday he's probably going to lose his job because of his integrity. He said, but that's okay. I have to live with me. Amen? Pray for Brother Saravia. It's not easy. But listen, each one of us face the same thing. Amen? It took Jesus' death to bring Nicodemus and Joseph out of hiding. He's not going to die again, so we don't have that excuse. Amen? We've got to come out of hiding on our own. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And we look at the lives of these two men. And Lord, certainly this morning we have painted them in quite a negative light. Um, one that the Bible says they well deserve for the first part of their life until the death of Christ. Lord, we ask that you would be with us as a church. That we would not just be oozing forward in the path of least resistance. Lord, we pray that we would be real. Nor, Lord, do we want to be so foolish as to just go out and start screaming about a bunch of sin that the world already knows is sin just to make a name for ourselves or to pretend that somehow we're some flaming avenger. Lord, we ask that you would draw us closer to you as individuals and as a church and that we would not wait for some cataclysmic event to step out of the shadows and go boldly to Pilate and crave the body or to show up at the tomb with spices that belong to a king's funeral. Lord, we're thankful that these two men did the job that they did. But Lord, you've not called us to repeat their deeds. You've called us to be your ambassadors to this world in which we live. Lord, my first prayer is for those that are here today that are unsaved. That they would surrender to you today. That they would put away the circumstances, the fears, the what mighta, coulda, shouldas, but would just be saved. Lord, we pray for those who are saved. 
but have allowed sin and other habits and maybe carrying different things over from the time when they were unsaved. That you would give them grace to put these things aside and get victory over self and over sin to serve you. Lord, we pray that each one of us would surrender our lives completely to you and be the servants of God that you would have us to be. That we could walk with you each day, not only after some huge happening. Lord, that we would be identified with you in the way we live, in the way we think, in the desires of our hearts. We ask you to do your work today and be honored and glorified here at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.